Our scripture reading this morning comes from Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. This is the word of our good God. Please be seated. Amen. Good morning. My name is Dave. I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption Tucson, and it's great to see y'all here and to be here together this morning. Um, if you're new or you've never had, uh, heard me preach before, I just want to give y'all a, a heads up. I have a stutter, and it'll kind of come in and out as we go. It's not always on cue like that, but uh, just, a, just a heads up so you know that, and so uh, you can understand what's happening as we go along. Um, we're going to get into it pretty quickly here this morning because there's a lot to cover. And uh, so if you have a Bible with you, a copy of God's Word, go ahead and turn to Genesis. Um, we'll be in a few different places this morning, but um, that's a good place to start. Pardon the pun. And uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, would you hold your hand up high and keep it up and somebody will get you a copy of God's Word. Y en español, si quiere la Biblia y no tiene, por favor, levante su mano y diga español. Y si no tiene ningún Biblia, uh, eso es un regalo a usted. Y es, uh, esta mañana estamos en Génesis y otros libros también. Um, and again, this is a gift to you, and just want to make sure that we all have a, a copy of God's Word as we follow uh, along this morning. And, and, and with that, just a reminder, we're in uh, week two of a two-week short little series that's um, called Hard Conversations. And last week we were in Hard Conversations Part 1 where we were talking about Calvinism and uh, this week complementarianism. And uh, again, if you're new, I just want to say out of the gates, um, if you're new here or you're new to Christianity, Christianity. You're kind of like, what, what are these terms even? Some, some of us might even have been Christians our whole lives and not even know these terms. And let me just say, that's totally okay. okay. Um, why we're calling these hard conversations is because for many of us, we just dive into what these subjects talk about, which to be clear, Calvinism is referring to God's sovereignty over all things, including salvation. And so we talked last week about that, and I'll give a little couple um, things about that to kind of backtrack, but our, not backtrack, uh, explain. There it is. And then uh, this week, as we talk about complementarianism, is largely referring to um, men and women and how we relate with one another and even um, what that means as, as image bearers, equal image bearers of God, and then how that's played out in terms of how we relate with one another in differing roles, or as we would say, um, complementary roles. And, and even as I say that, I talked to some people this morning, um, and I actually talked to someone else, a, a friend who's been looking on, on Twitter and different things, and just said, even from afar, I just see there's like weight 
there's tension. And so why we're choosing to walk through these conversations, even just a few mo- moments ago in the bathroom, yes, men talk in the bathroom also, um, we're in the, in the bathroom and, I, and someone just said, hey, I'm glad we're going about this the way we are. And just said, to be honest, it's not the way I expected. I thought I would show up and hear everything that it means to be Calvinist or what Calvinism means, or this week that we would just hear everything it means to be complementarian and what that means. And that's really not the heart of our conversation. Um, I do want to be clear on the front end, and even looking back to last week, that we as a church are looking through the lenses and do hold the position of Calvinism and also complementarian. But, but as we just heard, right, this is our father's world. A lot of times those conversations happen not in a family kind of way, not in a way that says, okay, this is hard. There's loaded subjects that we're diving into, and so we're going to move toward one another. And the, the climate or the conversational or relational norms and understanding are defined. That's not typically how certainly the, the world, if you will, goes at it, right? Even in the news this week, everywhere, it's the, the norm is lob grenades and just hear and use kind of like, uh, like big title, flash pan worthy statements that are going to just kind of jar you. And that doesn't lend itself to understanding, to healing, to redemption, to, to, to again, moving toward one another. So why we're going about it the way we are is to help define the conversation that is already going on in the world around us, right? Certainly men, women, how we relate with one another, not, that's not a church conversation exclusively, right? That's, and so we understand these conversations are happening. So how do we be clear where we're coming from as a church? And with that, or even more than that, um, how should the conversation look? What's the climate? What's the family relational norm that we need to approach these things together? And so again, I, I do want to be clear. I, perhaps last week in an effort to be more shepherding and loving and, and, and pastoral, I wasn't clear. And that's not lo- loving or shepherding or pastoral to not be clear. So w- we are reformed. And, and then hopefully you can hear everything else in the sermon that where there's grief and uh, recognition where need be and all that. And so this week, want to be clear, kind of out of the gates, and I know there's some, some weight even in that. We are a complementarian church, and, and then hopefully the rest of our time together, and what I'm going to pray right now is that the Lord will, um, will hopefully round some of that, uh, that out and, and bring some, some hope and some understanding and even prayerfully some, some healing. Um, So with that, let's go ahead and go before our good God together. Heavenly Father, we need you. Um, We uh, recognize, I recognize, even coming into this this, this morning, um, just perhaps more than most times, a a very clear understanding of my own inadequacy, insufficiency, brokenness, um, desperate need for you to do the work that you want to do. Lord, that I can't manipulate how we respond, what this looks like, how we all go about this, even what we believe in our minds. Or, Lord, we, we need you. I need you. Um, and so I do pray that the words of my mouth and that the thoughts of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And we need your Holy Spirit to see that out. So we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So 
as we get into this, right, we, as we said last week, we're, it's, we, we tend to just dive in like parachute or more like cannonball into some kind of conversation just right in the middle and then look at that in isolation. But we need to do the work of finding ourselves in the bigger story. So we're going to go back and start out and just read through um, a bunch of scripture right now in Genesis uh, chapters 1, 2, and 3 to help us understand uh, where we're at in the bigger story of who is God, how does he relate with himself, how does he relate with us, where do we find ourselves, and then how does that inform hard conversations like this. Okay, so if you want to follow along in the scriptures um, that you have, by all means do. We'll also have them up here on the screen, and, and I would even encourage us to, in a sense, be kind of sh- showered or, or shaped by God's word as we just read through his beautiful story of truth. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And then over in chapter 2, verses 15 through 18, And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded them, or commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you surely shall die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good. This is the first time something was not good. It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper. Make a little note of that. We'll come back to that down the road. A helper fit for him. And then I'll pick up right before verse 21. We just have verse 21 up here, but it's helpful. The end of verse 20 um, is where it says, but for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. Okay, all the other animals that Adam named and, and was interacting with, the, the God said, okay, it's not good that he's alone, and there's not one fit to be a helper for Adam. And then picking up in verse 21, so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. The man said, and this is like song or like poetic language, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast. That's like cling to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. And then now we'll pick up in chapter 3, verses 6 through 9. So this is, uh, right, you, if you know some of the story before this, you might, the, um, a serpent comes up and tempts the woman, Eve, 
and we're told that the man, Adam, is standing right next to her. And man, I want to go off right now and get into all these things. And there's a lot of importance here, but there's not time for too much of this. But again, Adam's standing right there quietly. And this is what happened. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord, the Lord God, among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? So what we see here is beautiful, creative, almighty God purposefully planning, operating, right? Putting to sleep, taking out of, seeing need, providing for need, all good, all before sin or brokenness or hurt or shame would even enter into the equation. And then we see Genesis chapter 3, sin, not God shame, brokenness, a desire to hide, enmity. And then as we go on there and we see further in the story, competition, frustration. And the reality of where we find ourselves in this story is we've got to be honest and recognize when we talk about complementarian or egalitarian, we'll describe those terms more, we talk about how men and women relate with each other. We've absolutely got to recognize that it falls under Genesis chapter 3. There's more to the story that came first. But where we're at, how we relate with one another, how we go about this, how we seek understanding, how we write up positions and statements and, and leadership structures and org charts and all these things falls in light of under the reality of Genesis chapter 3. In fact, uh, I, and I got a lot of help in this sermon, by the way. I'll talk more about that. But one friend, um, Annie Weinman, who I've emailed and talked with and met with, and we've spent hours talking together over the years. And um, one thing I asked her, and she sent me a number of different definitions, and, and some that, that came that were, I think, really helpful to just clearly spell out of, of, I think, ways when we talk about men and women relating with one another, some of these terms just are, are reality of men and women dynamics, how we interact with each other. Specifically, I would submit to us reflecting the horror of Genesis chapter 3, of God saying, where are you? Of men and women saying, I I'm afraid of you. I'm afraid to be seen by you. I'm afraid of what, what you mean to me. And, 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 and there's, there's hiding in their shame. So some of these terms, that I, again, I think flow directly out of Genesis 3, sexism, which is prejudice, stereotyping, or discrimination, typically against women on the basis of sex. M misogyny, the dislike of, contempt for, or ingrained prejudice against women. Patriarchy, a system of society or government in which men hold the power and women are largely excluded from it. I'll just pause for a moment and just say this is reality. 
This is the world we're in. This is news titles. This is as far back as human history records and traces. This is the dynamic, the climate that, 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 that women have lived in, that men and women have lived in, have grown up under, have operated under. This is not the way it's supposed to be. This, I think, is screaming Genesis 3. F further down, as I said, one of the, the curse that God gave to man and woman, one for men, it's, it's abdication of leadership and harshness in work. And then for women, it's, it's, it's going to be a, a trajectory or a legacy of desire to, 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 to rule over or, or, or to, to, to come up against, and then harshness. Uh, it's brokenness. And I would just say and, and grieve over, these are the realities of sin, of not God, of not the way it's supposed to be. And then that, that last one there, I, I thought I would put in there, feminism. The advocacy of women's rights based on the equality of the sexes. And that one might seem kind of oddly placed with these others. Uh, just hear me on there. I would throw in there, and someone might even ask. Again, this is where terms are messy and broken. Some would say, well, Dave, are you a feminist? And I'd say, well, I am absolutely for these things, the advocacy of women's rights based on the equality of the sexes, 100%. Like, we should all be quick to say, yeah, I'm a feminist, if that's what feminist means. That's the, that's the de definition of it. But again, the world we're in, the climate we're in, there's little room for, like, if I stand up here and say, I'm a feminist, or again, this hard conversation, I'm a Calvinist, I'm a complementarian, instantly, News titles, video, you know, whatever, like all kinds of things just flood our minds and there's no room for conversation. And the heart behind what we're doing now is to be honest and to press in and say, listen, we're a family. All right, I know we're growing. We're a bigger family, uh, but, but we, we will close the doors if we stop operating as a family. Okay, that, that is the biblical picture, the biblical language of God's people, ecclesia, gathering together and then living all of life, all for Jesus. Okay, the scattered people of God, still the family of God, we've got to operate under that. Every decision we make as a church and how we operate comes back to that reality. So under this term and this context as a family, someone just listens to 18 minutes into this and hears me say I'm a feminist and blogs are, I'm not that important that people are going to write blogs and tweet worthy and stuff, but if I were, this would happen, right? It comes back to, oh, Dave's a feminist. He said that. And then, but that's less concerned about that, right? More concerned, what does this mean for us? Well, what this means is we should be okay saying absolutely, 100%. In light of all those other terms where women's rights, where abuse, where society, government, where, where prejudice is, is true and real, and it is, then yeah, being for that being undone, being for women and women's rights should be easy for us to say. I will say, as it's often treated, it still falls under the reality of Genesis 3. It's in often cases taken as this is now our effort to fight this, to go against this. I think in a sense, even again, reacting to Genesis 3 and the brokenness of sin and shame and hurt and pain, and it has to fall under the bigger story, the bigger umbrella of Genesis 1 and 2 as well. And so to, to help with that, um, someone that I've read and learned a lot from, Kathy Keller, explains her 
tension and struggle as she walks through these things. She says this, the question becomes, how does one talk pastorally and compassionately to 21st century people so that the notion of gender roles is presented not as an embarrassing antiquity the church is stuck with, but as a gift meant, from, meant for our good? The question is not academic for me. Everywhere I have ministered since then, I have felt like a woman without a country. In some places, I have been looked at upon with suspicion as a raving feminist because I encourage women to teach and lead, and I do so myself. In New York, I have been called self-hating and worse because I continue to believe that God gave us a good gift when he created complementary gender roles for men and women. Again, I think her tension that she gives us a window into is everything we've been saying. It's, it's a picture into the reality of this struggle, this tension of Genesis 3, of where we find ourselves. Okay, so before we get into hopefully some of the redeeming or the healing or the more helpful or hopefully hope-filled um, picture of who we're called to be as God's people as a church, and specifically here at Redemption Tucson, just like we did last week, we've got, if, if I'm going to stand up here and say we are complementarian as a church, we've got to pause and recognize there is a whole heap of brokenness loaded under that terminology. And just again, as an example for last week, if we're going to say we are reformed Calvinists, which we would say it is foolish and I would say harmful to not at least recognize a whole country and a whole church, the Dutch Reformed Church in South Africa, where I've spent tons of time and been, had an entire system of relating with one another, of segregation, apartheid, that was directly coming out of the Reformed Church. Okay, so if we're going to say I'm reformed and not acknowledge evil and prejudice and racism of apartheid, that's just, I don't know what we're, like, we're, we're trying to keep stuff swept under the rug that's just going to come bursting out. The same is true here. Okay, complementarian has been used for abuse in, in systems of hierarchy, of misogyny, of sexism, of those things that we would hate to be associated. We, it would be unloving and foolish to not acknowledge that some of those def definitions we had up there are just real. That, that's, those are our, I don't know, I don't want to, that's like Uncle Eddie, right? And that sounds too cute. I don't want to downplay it, but that's like, I don't want to be, that's kind of a family member. I want to try to distance, but like they won't change their name and I'm not going to change my name. And should we, like, is it better to just come up with a, another term? We'll get into that in a bit. It's like, well, no. Okay, we can't do that, but we've got to acknowledge, yeah, this is some of our history, some of our legacy, where we're coming from. Just hopefully we understand this enough. I don't want to keep taking too much time because there's some really good things I want to make sure we can hear from. Um, it, it's, if we don't recognize, okay, how many of you, I'll just ask, okay, this will be, how many of you have read the book or were supposed to read the book, The Scarlet Lung, Lung Letter? So a bunch of us, right? Most people that went through like ninth grade, is it, or something, um, is that, who was it? Hawthorne? Is that the author? Yeah, Hawthorne. Like, right, the scarlet letter, this abuse, this, all this, that was, that's our ancestry. Treating women that way, isolating, you go stand in the corner and be ashamed and wear something so on. Like, that was Puritan, 
That was, that was the Puritan church. That's, and that's like the abuse, the misuse of power, the abuse of women. That's, and we've got to recognize that's not the way it should be. Even in our church here, hear me now, I want to be clear on this. And I've had conversations with, with some, some friends and one friend that we're about to hear from who, who even said, listen, when, when I've experienced these conversations, often it feels like people, especially people in power, are more concerned about getting it right than about loving our sisters or our brothers. Hear me, that's, that's a problem. If we're so fragile in how we approach these things that we're so worried about getting it right on paper that we're not first falling under Jesus' first command, which was what? Love God and love your neighbor. So how do we do that? What does it look like for us? Well, um, let me go ahead and invite up a good friend, Tina Dare, who, um, let's go ahead and give her a round of applause. So thanks so much, Tina, for, for coming up here. And just again, to be clear, we've, we've talked a ton over the months and, um, and over the past long time, and especially this week. I got a ton of help in this sermon. And, uh, and so, yeah, Tina, you've been so helpful in this. And specifically things that you said about like that loaded question, how do we now navigate this conversation in light of the gospel? Some of what you said, I thought, well, why should I just try to do it and say, like, repeat you? Or um, So why don't you just share with us some of the things that God's had on your heart? Yeah, thanks, Dave. Yeah, as I think about this conversation and what even moving forward from today could look like, I think all of these words, all these terms are so loaded that it comes with a history of emotion, of... Um, grasping for either holding on to power, holding on to the way things were, or grasping for a better way. But what I think the passage that has been really coming to mind that can help shape this is Philippians 2. So if, you, if anyone wants to turn there, it's going to be up on the screen. So this is Philippians 2, 1 through 11. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. And I think it's so easy as a church to hear that and say, see, we got to be unified. So that means one side could say, let's just set aside this issue. We shouldn't push towards the controversy. Let's focus on the gospel. Let's, you know, not kind of like create division in the church by bringing this up. And I think to that, I would say, this is the gospel. Like, these are, we are men and women in the church who individually walk into this building with pain. Um, and not only that, but as Dave said earlier, this is the family of God. And so how we operate together as brothers and sisters, how we lead and how we um, submit to leadership within the church as men and women, like this is central to what it means to reflect God to the world and to, to love one another. So I don't think that we can just set this aside. And then I think on the other side, I don't think unity is that we can somehow create this category that we can all agree upon because um, that's just not going to happen, and it shouldn't happen. Because I think once our unity becomes something other than Jesus, then we start looking like the world because that's easy to have affinity groups or have a political party that we can champion around. But what, what it means to be followers of Jesus is to say that our unity is in Christ alone. And the words here, encouragement, comfort from love, participation together in the spirit, affection and sympathy, as we experience Jesus together, I just, like, take a minute, like, look to your left and right, like, look at your brothers and sisters in the room, 
these are people that God is calling us to heal together with. Like there, I just want us to really like, before we launch into these conversations, just know that, that there are women that are deeply hurting over this or that are deeply confused. And when we kind of spout off answers and try to, try to figure it out really quickly, we just get pushed to the side. And that's been my experience and it's been really hard. Getting up here today is like, I never thought that this would be the case. So let's, let's look at each other as, as um, I see tears in the audience already, and just to, as a testament to, to where this is. Um, yeah, we need to see each other as brothers and sisters and to participate in the incredible gift it is to be God's people. So as we continue in verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Guys, I think as we count each other more significant and care more about our brothers and sisters, we're going to care about this issue, but not because we're grasping for others to agree with us, but because we're looking to champion each other, to lift each other up, to find healing, to find unity, and to glorify Jesus together. And just to finish out the passage in verse 9, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is our unique, this is our goal. This is, this is why we're here. We're not here because it's about us. We're here because we're worshiping the living God. And Jesus entrusted himself to the Father, and we can do the same. We can trust that we can lay down our perspectives because he's going to raise us too if we're found in him. And that needs to be so central to this. And I just, Dave doesn't know I was going to say this, and I'm sure it'll embarrass him, but we submit ourselves to God, and, and that's ultimate in any authority. But guys, we have a leader here that we can trust um, and submit to as we walk through this, even if we don't agree. And, and you know, we wouldn't land perfectly in the same place together. But as I've gotten to know him and his heart, I just can joyfully um, submit and trust him as we lead through this. So with that said, let me hand it back to you, Dave. Uh, well, thanks, Tina. Yeah, let's, let's thank Tina for... Yeah, so, yeah, again, thank you. Thank you, Tina, for, for sharing that. And I, I want to also just acknowledge a couple things as we continue. Like, that took a lot of courage. It probably, um, even some of the people I've talked to this week and gotten, you know, asked for quotes or for, you know, different things. Like, this um, is a scary place to be. And, 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 and it's um, for even for myself. Like, you can probably tell I'm less, not that I'm usually polished, like, kind of, right? And that's not a word people would use for me. Um, but... But like it's this week all the more you probably feel this the discomfort and that's okay. Like again, last week you probably experienced the discomfort. It's not because I don't think God's sovereign at all. I could go I that shapes my entire life. That's practical, hope-filled theology. Same for this week. Complementarianism is something that informs my growing up with a single mom, like how we operate as a family, these things. But there's discomfort because there's recognition as 
Tina shared of, of unchristlike operating that is absolutely real in here, that we're all uh, in some ways maybe have advocated and um, experienced or been under. And so that, that informs this conversation. I'm so thankful for, for Tina um, sharing. And so now I want to be, as we kind of land the plane to some degree, but I want to be clear again. Where are we as a church? What does complementarianism look like? What's, this, what's the other definition or what, what would others look like? I want to give some um, explaining with that. But again, from us as a church, as you hear, we have a complementarian lens or a complementarian position. What, what, is that, what does that mean? So here are a couple of definitions that I, actually talking to Tina, she's like, this is how I would define it, and I would agree. Um, some people won't like that. Some complementarians won't like that. Some egalitarians won't like it. I'm sorry, and I don't mean that like me. Like, honestly, I didn't like most any of the ones I found online, and these are the ones that we're operating with here. So egalitarianism, I think, would say there is no difference or distinction in terms of roles and responsibilities regarding men and women within the home and regarding church leadership. Complementarianism is everything else. <laughs> Would say there are different roles and different in, in some form, and in the, in, the, in the home and in the church, there is some element of difference in how men and women relate with one another and, and, and how that unfolds. And I would say that because um, I think complementarianism is a huge, wide spectrum. And there are some that just would, would say, I've written the book on complementarianism, and here it is. And there actually are physical books. One is kind of presented as, this is the book on complementarianism. And it would fall more in line with like hierarchical, um, hierarchical complementarianism. Karenism, that we would say, I don't agree with that. Some of the things they say in the books, we'd be like, yeah, yeah, I agree, but, but not here. So what does that mean? Those are the definitions I'm operating out, out of as we move on here and say we as a church are complementarian. So now let's look to a couple of definitions to again hopefully shape and just give understanding. And I understand now might be the time where there was some healing and Tina talked and as she mentioned there were some tears and now I recognize could be a part where it's like, oh, that like I feel the scab growing back over. I'm like, not, but, but, but we want to be clear and also pave way for more conversation that's in light of reality of where are we. So as we say we are a complementarian church, one of the women, Mary Cassian, who kind of coined the term complementarian, this is how she, and she's a single woman, by the way, so it's, I want to go into that more. It's not just for married women and things like that. So this is Mary Cassian, who's a leader in this conversation. This is how she defines it. There's a, a slide here. Essentially, a complementarian Tarian is a person who believes that God created male and female to reflect complementary truths about Jesus. That's the bottom line meaning of the word. We, complementarians, do not believe that men as a group rank higher than women. Men are not superior to women. Women are not the second class. Men have a responsibility to exercise headship in their homes and church family and Christ revolutionized the definition of what that means. Again, I would say go back and read, or if you're listening 
listen to what Tina just shared. I think that's Philippians 2, what leadership looks like. It's where she said, and Christ revolutionized the definition of what that means. Authority is not the right to rule. It's the responsibility to serve. And we would say, amen, amen, and amen. Lord, lead us as a church that any conversation about leadership would look like that from an elder level to a family level to a parenting level to an authority level as a boss, whatever it might look like, that leadership would be, as she says, revolutionized in and through the person and work of Christ. Now, part of the confusion and the pain and the difficulty is this word helper, right, that I went back to earlier that I said, and this is where, again, Annie and I have talked a lot about this, and would even probably different authors and different people will talk about that word differently. I found this one really helpful, that, that it helps inform. So when we talk about different roles, and we hear God created women and said there's not a helper fit for you, well, helper is really pejorative and, and just sounds like kind of discretionary, not and just kind of like a, a servant or something, right? It's not. And so this other um, Amy Bird, um, she describes this, this um, tension and kind of helps define this word in this way. Women derive value first and foremost from being made in the image of God. Amen? Amen. Amen. But as fellow image bearers, we have a particular value in our relationship to men as well. And then she goes on. John McKinley prefers to interpret azer, which is the, that word helper in the Hebrew, as necessary ally, asserting that God has given us this analogy between himself as azer and women as azer to focus on their functional correspondence. This is certainly different from the way we use the word helper today. Amen. Yes, it is. The issue in Azer is neither equality nor submission, but distinction and relatedness. She is to be for the man as an ally to benefit him in the work they were given to do. Who? They, Genesis 2, absolutely, the creation mandate given to man and woman, co-image bearers, co-authorities in terms of leading and, and commissioned, okay? So the work they were given to do, I lost my place, right there, okay, just as Azer tells of God's relatedness to Israel as the necessary support for survival and military perils, the woman is the ally to the man without which he cannot succeed or survive. Emphasis my own, yes. Unlike helper, that could seem optional and allow the man to think he's otherwise adequate for his task without the women. The distinction of ally marks the man's dependence upon her contribution. There's so much, the man's absolute dependence, amen. And that's, we see that picture, and I would say that is a Trinitarian truth. Okay, this is a theological conversation. So what does that mean? Before I go on, what is our definition as a church? And I drew this up, I'm, um, but this is the definition of what we would operate as Redemption Church, as I would define it for us here. Here it is. Our understanding, we would say, someone call this narrow complementarianism. But here is our definition. God has chosen to reflect himself in us, us, men and women, as his co-image bearers and co-stewards of his creation 
through, I don't know if I italicize there, through interdependent or complementary roles within the church and home. Interdependent. Okay, let me go off for a minute here and, and give some shaping, some understanding of this. Again, what, and I, I, even as we talked on the way home on Thursday, some of us were driving home, a group of friends, and I, and I know I can get animated and sometimes I can sound angry. Um, I can be the Napoleon complex, short, angry guy, um, and I don't want to be that here, but there is animation because I believe that it, this is, again, biblical, theological. We have this conversation in our own home with my daughter, who's now 12, Ellie, we were talking about complementarity and how this works. And a lot of it was, again, born out of this really pejorative, short-sighted understanding of helper. Understandably, that's the way we operate in society. So how does this look here? Well, I would say first we have to look, how does it look like in creation? How does it look like theologically with God? God is a Trinitarian God, right? God said, let us make man in our image, in the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them, that God is a complementary God within himself eternally existing. And we see this in creation, that God the Father speaks things into creation. And then we know that the, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and everything came into being through the Word who became flesh. That's Jesus. So the, so the Father speaks, and it comes into being through the Son, and the Spirit is hovering over all of creation. There are different roles in the creation of the entire universe of all that is. And we see God interdependently, interrelatedly creating. And it's beautiful and it's good. And that's before Genesis chapter 3. And I think that's where we take our cues from. Who is God? And then we see that in Jesus submitting to the will of the Father, being sent by the Father. He submits to the Father's will. He comes into this broken world. He incarnates God, man, God in the flesh, taking on flesh. Jesus becomes man, and he lives constantly in, in, in relationship, in prayer, in dependence upon the Father. And every miracle that he performs is not because he pulls out the God card. It's because he is in dependence upon God the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit empowering Jesus. Let me pause for a moment. This is complementarianism. Hopefully, as we discuss how we relate with one another, we are having in our minds, yes, all that's going on in the world around us, all the broken history that we come from, but hopefully, more importantly, who is God and how does he relate? And so then we see Jesus submitting and, 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 and depending on the power of the Holy Spirit. And then when Jesus is talking with his followers, what does he say? It's better that I stay with you, right? Because I'm God the Son. I'm the I have all the authority. I have all the power. So you need me to be with you, right? He says, no, it's better for you that I go away because I will send to you a, what? A helper. Same word, by the way. I will send to you a necessary ally, right? So Jesus is has erected. The Father raises him through the power of the Spirit. Jesus is resurrected. He ascends to the right hand of God the Father, the right hand. He's not like, hey, that's my spot, right? Move, move over. But no, he ascends to the right hand of God the Father. There's a still a submissive role. And then we see that in the future, the picture is that Jesus is on the throne and that every knee will bow and tongue confess that who is Lord? 
Jesus, that God the Son will, will, will receive all worship and praise and glory, and that he submits to the Father, and then through that, the result is worship and exaltation. And who does Jesus send? He authoritatively sends the Spirit, the same Spirit that he, spirit that he depended on throughout his earthly ministry. That's a beautiful picture of complementarianism. And that's where we take our cues. So what does that mean for us here as a church? Can I want to be specific. Specifically, in the home and in the church, we do believe that God has called men to uphold a, a, an office or a position, if you will, of responsibility and oversight. Servant, Christ-like leadership. Taking our cues from Philippians 2 laying self down and leading and being accountable for, leading sometimes by submitting, leading by depending on, necessarily relating to. And so here in the church, what does that mean? And, and this is for the Q&A and for other times. Specifically, we do believe that the biblical picture is that called and qualified men are to hold the office of elder, the office of elder, as, 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 again, servant leaders, and that doesn't mean sitting in a smoke-filled room making all the decisions and out of isolation that there have been and still will be and hopefully will be more times where we call on and lean on our sisters in Christ to say we need to make a decision here that it would be foolish and, and, and really unhelpful to just make outside of your, your insight and your leadership. So would you inform and speak into this decision that we need to make? And that has happened and will continue to happen. And that leadership does not mean, again, in a bubble doing everything. And, and as I said, with this sermon, uh, we also believe that that is, that specifically at this church, the office of elder and the consistent ongoing preaching or teaching of God's word from the pulpit as an, as an expression or an, an, as an ascending under the eldership, that those are for called and qualified men. And that that's what we experience and how we operate. And that, again, as you see and have experienced here, that it takes a village to preach a sermon, right? That there has been help and conversation and definitions and wrestling. And that that's what it would look like. And in the family, I'll just I go back and listen to Genesis, where we, we talked to, or sorry, Ephesians, where we talked about these things. Um, that also doesn't mean, I do think there is, going back to, there is a, a, a position of leadership and accountability and responsibility that I have for my family that, that often means, though, that I lead by submitting, that there are, ultimately, I will be called in the same way that God said, Adam, where are you? That if my family goes down the tubes, that there is a sense of responsibility I'm called to and I cannot abdicate, but that that doesn't mean I just say, oh, I'll take every decision, I'll make it. No, that there are so many aspects where I lead and take responsibility for my family, and that's expressed by deferring to and being led by my wife in a number of different ways. I think there's a complementarity that we see in there. So now as we close, I want to fully recognize this conversation is not just beginning, and it's not just ending. But how do we have it? How do we continue to have this conversation as a family? So I want to actually invite up as we close out a good friend of mine, Kristen Tovar, who has wrestled deeply with these things, and I think has some really helpful things to share. So let's thank Kristen 
for coming up here. And again, um, I just want to acknowledge this takes a lot of courage. And um, Kristen is not up here like chomping at the bit. Like I, this was a lot of me asking Kristen, will you share um, some of these things that God's put on your heart about how we now continue to navigate this conversation as a f family? Yeah, thank you so much. Um, I just want to reiterate what Tina said, too, that we have an amazing, humble leader to look to, um, whether we... <laughs> he doesn't want that. <laughs> no. Whether we share the same conviction or not, whether we land in the same place, um, yeah, this is what it looks like. Um, so in praying for our church family, I've been praying a lot for... Um, my friends that wrestle with this topic, and also my friends that aren't wrestling with this topic right now, uh, because we need each other. Can we have potentially divisive conversations in the church and still be a witness to the world? Yes. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we as brothers and sisters can create a climate and a culture of openness, long-suffering with one another, humility, and genuine love this topic and others do matter greatly and they need to be talked about but we must always begin approaching them through and only through our shared identity in christ mm. so what is the good news for all of us today if we belong to christ our conversations around this topic can and should look different if you're wrestling with this topic right now whether it's because you want to learn or understand more or because you have a different conviction please do not be afraid to say so. I pray that our community does not make people feel like they cannot share or ask questions or hold back in what it, fear of what response they'll be met with if they're wrestling with this or have a different conviction. God's design for us wasn't to section off pieces of ourselves, and he and our brothers and sisters want to know all of who we are. I pray that you find this place in this community a place where you can be humbled and challenged in the context of true, honest, and loving relationships. If you have a different conviction than that of Redemption Tucson, but you're committed to the body of believers here, I'd encourage you to continue to engage. Do not let this be an opportunity for you to disengage or only offer certain areas of your life to be brought under the rule and authority of our King, Jesus. Hmm. And if you're not wrestling with this right now, which I'm sure is some of us, I pray that you would not pass judgment on others that are. I pray that you would reach out to your brothers and sisters who are wrestling. I pray that you would have patience, consideration, understanding, and the desire to really get to know people on a holistic level, rather than minimizing them to anything less than human and seeing them through a lens only of whatever conviction it is that they hold. I pray that you will have real empathy for those in a different place than you and not just wish for them to be silent or to get it. I pray that the people you interact with will know confidently that you want the best for them and in that spirit that you will not be threatened by the questions or different convictions of others. Mm. And for all of us, in our conversations with each other, let us consider, do we want what's best for each other or do we want to be right? I pray that all of us are marked by and known for our gentleness and graciousness. I pray that we would have the wisdom to know when and how to engage in this topic, to dive into it, just like Tina said, not to run from it. In a world that is constantly asking us to pick a side, let this place be a retreat 
and a safe place for one another as we process and learn what it looks like to live together as God's people in a broken world being made new. Let us not fight for everyone to think the same thing as us, but fight for unity in Christ, to fight for God's name to be made great, not our agendas or our convictions. Let us drop our convictions at the feet of Jesus. Let us look to the interests of one another rather than our own. Let these moments and our time together be a witness to the world around us of how we can approach one another around divisive topics. As it says in Romans 15, 5 through 7, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accordance with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you or the glory of God. So then, let us find in our interactions, and yes, also in our differences, an opportunity, a beautiful opportunity to show the world what it is like to be found in Christ and welcomed into a family of believers who truly emulate the humility of Jesus, the same humility seen in Jesus as he paid the cost of unity with his life. We all feel and see how these things have been handled poorly in the church in general, but I pray that going forward now and today, especially in our church family, that we would be known for having a climate and culture where we can talk about hard things, even struggle through these hard things together, and still, at the end of the day, be defined by the way we seek to put the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection on display above all else. Amen. Wow. Thank you, Kristen, for that and for sharing your heart with us, and, and amen to those words. And just now as um, we go before the Lord in, in prayer and we're about to respond together, it's really appropriate that we would come together before his table, that um, as Paul will describe in a couple moments here, Jesus, on the night that he was arrested, he broke bread. He said, this is my body broken for you. And then he took a cup and he poured out. He said, this is the blood of my covenant poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. And it came directly on the heels of conflict, of argument, right? His followers were arguing over who would be closest to him when his kingdom comes in full. And um, around division, he said, listen, you're unified. You come together in and through me. So let that be what shapes us now in this time. So um, Kristen, would you go ahead and pray for us? And then we'll go into our time of response. God, thank you for not leaving us in confusion. Um, Thank you for giving us Jesus as the perfect example of humility. We're so thankful for the blood of Christ that has paid for our unity, Lord. And we just pray today as we come together as a family that we would keep that unity, that we would acknowledge the price that was paid for that, and that we would continue to seek it in humility and independence upon you. We pray these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen.